changes. What's the Word? Brought to you by Columbia Baptist Church in Columbia, Kentucky on 101.9 WAIN. I am Randy Johnson, the senior pastor at Columbia Baptist Church, and thank you for joining us every Wednesday night at 6 o'clock right here on 101.9 WAIN. Welcome to this edition of What's the Word? This is Randy Johnson, senior pastor at Columbia Baptist Church. Thank you so much for tuning in to 101.9 WAIN. 1270 a.m. or you may be on 1019wain.com and streaming live or you may have missed Wednesday night show altogether and you're listening to this on my podcast because every Thursday morning I take this one hour show and I load it onto my podcast which is called Walk This Way and you may be listening a day or two or a week afterwards, but I'm thankful that you found it, especially if you're listening live on 101.9 or some of those other streaming services. I'm thankful that you have chosen to take this time to listen to my thoughts on what the Bible says about the world that we live in. A lot of times we feel like the world is just crazy. It's just nuts. People are ridiculous. Some days we have really good days and there's lots of good news and there's wonderful things to talk about. And, you know, we just, we think, okay, well, things couldn't be any better. But a lot of times when we find those weird things that happen in the world or just those disappointing things or those moments that just make us scratch our head and wonder what is going on, those are the moments that I want to take in this particular show and not only celebrate the good things that are happening, but also point out to you what does the Bible say about the world that we live in? What happens with some of these crazy instances that happen in the world, what does God say? What does the Bible say? How should we respond as followers of Christ and believers in God? How should we respond appropriately to things that just don't seem to make sense? Well, this week in October, it's not October, this week in August, you know, school is back in session, been in session now for several days and kids I hope are getting adjusted. The college began yesterday at Lindsey Wilson College and Campbellsville College, they or Campbellsville University, excuse me, they started yesterday. And so you probably see a lot more cars driving around and notice that there are more students in Walmart and around in the fast food lines and Subway and some of those places. But you have to wonder, or at least I do, what does a college student, how does a college student see the world? How do our high school and middle school students see the world? How do they view things that happen in and around Adair County, state of Kentucky, and our state and around the world? How do they take those moments and see what God is doing, see what the Bible says about those things, and shape their worldview based on the Bible. And that's one of the reasons why I do this show, because I, I don't know who all listens. I don't know if we have any middle school, high school, college age. We have young adults, senior adults. I don't know what the mixture is. People tell me uh, all the time that they enjoy the, the show, but I don't know who 
all gets an opportunity to listen to it. So what I try to do is I try to think in the world that we live in, in the culture that we're caught up in, even in the days and times, like I mentioned, with school getting back in session and kids learning and, and just having their minds open to all sorts of new thoughts and new ideas, there has to be a stabilizing force in all of our lives. There has to be something that makes sense of the senseless. There, there's got to be an explanation whether you are in college studying biology, whether you're in high school uh, studying math, or whether you're retired from the workforce and you are investing in your grandchildren or maybe even great-grandchildren or somewhere in between. There has to be something that makes sense of the world, and that's why I've devoted this one-hour show to do that. So in case this is your first time listening, I wanted to give a little bit of an explanation because I always want to come back to what does the Bible say about the world in which we live? How should we see it? How should we view it? And how do we make sense of it? On this episode tonight, I have, like I normally do, several examples of things that have happened around the world, some things a little bit more locally, some things globally, that have happened. And and just, again, it makes us scratch our head and ask, how does the Bible tell us to view this? What is the Christian response to that? How should I, as a believer and a follower in Jesus of Jesus, how should I respond or live my life in such a way so that those types of things don't happen to me, or if they do, how should I respond? Those are the kinds of questions that I have in the back of my mind when I read some of these stories and share some of these things with you. Before I get into those, I did mention that I have a few uh, stories for you, a few examples of things, and if you are catching this show for maybe the first time, first time in a long time, all of the episodes of What's the Word, the last almost 40 of them, are on my podcast, and I mentioned that at the top of the the hour just a little bit ago. The name of the podcast is called Walk This Way. And of course, the radio show is called What's the Word? So I've got a thing for W's apparently, but Walk This Way is the name of the podcast. You can find it on Google, Spotify, iTunes, Pocket Cast. There's about 10 different ways that you can find Walk This Way. And all of the episodes of this show are uploaded on there, as well as messages that I've preached at Columbia Baptist Church as a senior pastor there. You can find those messages. You can download them. You can subscribe to the podcast. You can catch all kinds of good information there and and episodes and messages, all kinds of inspirational content. And I hope that you will, because I'd love to have you give me some feedback, and I'd love to just be a, a part of a spiritual blessing in your life to uh, give you some things to think about and encourage you in your walk with the Lord and certainly hope to give perspective on some of the crazy things that happen in the world. Some of you that, uh, you know, if you know me and you know my family, uh, my son, youngest son, is 15 and he uh, was diagnosed with autism when he was in first grade. Now, he's very high-functioning, uh, a great thinker, great... Uh, I told him when he was little that he needed to be an engineer because he, especially when he was younger, would just love to figure out how things worked. 
and he has uh, just a, a certain outlook on uh, on life you know he just has a unique perspective on things and uh and and so anytime i read a story about a child with autism or the way that someone perhaps interacts with someone that struggles and you have to understand uh, and and a lot of people don't uh, but uh, but and thankfully it's becoming more and more you know one of those i don't want to use the word normal but it's it's becoming more recognizable people are educating themselves a little bit more one of the things that i wanted to point out about autism before i share the story with you is that they call it a spectrum which really just means that there's a wide variety of different symptoms and different issues that a person with autism or especially a child with autism will have to endure for most of and sometimes all of their lives and that's just uh, it, it's just one of those issues that uh, again that some people have to deal with and so when I read like I said when I read a story about how people interact with a, a child or a person with autism it always makes me scratch my head a little bit and I wonder you know what if this was your child what if this was someone that you knew but I saw the other day that there was an airline crew that refused to accommodate a traveler with autism and what happened of on the story was, and, and it was pointed out in the article that the, the person writing the article said, or one actually one of the passengers said, uh, quote, it's not right to treat people with special needs as if they are unworthy of your time or effort. I, I realize that it is easy to make a statement like that if you haven't had a lot of practice or exposure of dealing with uh, children or even adults with special needs, sometimes it can be intimidating to know, you know, how do I communicate, what's acceptable, what, what will communicate the message appropriately, and that kind of thing. But unfortunately for this SkyWest Airlines flight, uh, flight crew, is they didn't even try. They didn't try to communicate effectively, and they got very frustrated whenever the young man with autism was not able to, because of his lack of communication skills, uh, was not able to communicate effectively with the flight attendant. What happened was the family with the young man that has autism got on the plane last. They were detained. There was some kind of an issue. They were flying from Detroit to Houston, and there was some kind of an issue uh, that caused them to be delayed, some kind of a custom issue. I, I don't know if they were flying from another country and landed in Detroit and then going from Detroit to Houston. It doesn't necessarily say, but there was some kind of a customs and border protection uh, outage, and it just led to hour-long delays. And so they got caught up in that delay, and so they everybody was rushing to get on the plane. And this particular family got on the plane last, and once they did, obviously they didn't have assigned seats, so the family could not make sure that their son or, or their brother, the person with autism, that they could not ensure that this person and their family would sit next to someone in the family. As it turned out, they got on board, everybody had to find a different seat, 
And obviously the family knew very quickly that that was not going to work for the young man with autism. Uh, one of the family members said, and, and, and quoted and said, quote, my brother has to sit with one of our family members that he's comfortable with. And because he's non-communicative, he has uh, anxiety and just, you know, sensory issues. You can imagine on an airplane, there's, there's lots of those going on. And it's an over two-hour flight. I think it's a two-and-a-half-hour flight. And they just knew that he was not going to do well sitting alone. Well, long story short, the accommodation of having somebody switch seats was not acceptable to the flight crew. And they even had someone on the plane volunteer to leave their seat and switch seats with this young man. And the flight attendant and the flight crew said, absolutely not. These kinds of things happen all the time. But the flight attendant was making a big deal out of it, would not allow the young man to switch seats, was demanding that everybody stay seated. They were ready to take off. They were already behind. What ended up happening is all 75 people on the plane had to get off the plane. Um, there was concern. There was issues. There were all kinds of uh, there was a bit of an uproar on the flight. And they ended up having to take the entire crew off of the plane and get a brand new crew. So one simple 30-second solution ended up costing the crew that put their foot down and said no. It ended up getting the entire plane delayed an extra hour, which was already delayed another hour, all because the flight attendant said no. I, I realize that some people will probably say, well, it's a bit of an extreme to not just take off and, you know, the flight crew said this is the way it is. But when you see both sides of it and you can understand, yes, they were already late. They were eager to get up in the, uh, up in the air. They were ready to get the show on the road. However, the accommodation that was being asked to be made for the comfort of one young man with autism who would not have handled the flight well to be able to sit with one of his three other family members would have literally take, taken 30 seconds, especially when somebody on the plane had already said that they would switch seats. It literally would have taken 30 seconds to be nice. Instead, it caused an issue. They knew the family knew that this young man was not going to do well, and it ended up costing everybody. And you know, I've heard it said many times: it it's free to be nice. It doesn't cost you anything to be nice. But when we're rude, when we you know put our foot down and my way or the highway and absolutely not and how dare you ask and who do you think you are and any of those phrases that, that might be used in a situation like this, a lot of times what ends up happening is more than just that person that says those statements ends up being a loser. It always affects other people. So many times people think, well, I have the right to feel the way that I feel and to believe what I do. And while that might be true, you don't have the right to keep the effects of how you feel all to yourself.
You don't have the right to keep the consequences of your actions or attitudes all to yourself. On this plane, a 30-second decision to be kind would have gotten the airplane up in the air, everybody on their way, and no problem. But because the flight attendant made a big deal out of something that was small and insignificant, it ended up costing everyone, and uh, this was a subsidiary of, of Delta Airlines, and they had to send out an apology, and you know it just became this whole big thing that happened all because of a lack of sensitivity to a person that has some special needs. I tell you all this because in the world that we live in, we, we look at other people and we think, how could somebody do that? And it's so easy to read a story like this and say, well, this, this flight attendant and this flight crew, all they had to do was, and then we fill in the blank. And it's true. This is a story that made national headlines. You may not have seen it, may not have read it, but it was on some national headlines and, and it went around the country, maybe even around the globe. Who knows? But I guarantee you that if the flight attendant had been kind, had been accepting and understanding, never would this story have hit the internet or the airways in any way, shape, or form. Nobody would have heard the kind gesture to say, yes, let's accept that this person is going to leave their seat and switch and let's do... Now, that happens all the time. Those types of kind things happen every single day and they never make the news. My encouragement to you is go out of your way to be kind. Stay out of the news for reasons of being a jerk and being rude and being... In, you know, insensitive, but make sure that you're glorifying God in your attitude and your actions by always taking the high road, always being apologetic, always saying, yes, you can imposition me if it's for the benefit of someone else, always saying, no, please take mine, I'll get another, always be willing to serve others for their benefit, even if you lose, because while other people may not know what happens others are always affected when we make the wrong choice and i read this story and i you know as a as a father with an autistic child now now my youngest son would not have been in this situation of not doing well having to sit by himself you know my son is very communicative sometimes too much uh, and he has some sensory issues, but not nearly as bad as this young man did. But as a dad with a son who, ha who is on the autism spectrum, I feel that sensitivity that sometimes, uh, you know, I, I feel it when people have it. I don't often feel it when they don't because I'm not necessarily around people that are not sensitive or loving or kind toward my son, but I know it happens. It's always free and costs us nothing, genuinely, to be kind. And so when we're trying to mold and shape generations, when we're trying to have a positive impact in our community, when we're trying to do the right thing, when we're trying to do a blessing, 
let's make sure that we're always doing everything we can to be kind and gracious and merciful to people. And really, that's what God expects out of us when we display what he has done in our life. We show the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness, the kindness that Christ has shown to us. And that's honestly the very least that we could do. Speaking, speaking of airports, I read a story the other day about an airport security worker who was fired because she passed a note to a traveler. Now, this is a security worker at one of the New York airports. She would, had been fired after video footage showed that she passed a rude note to a traveler walking through a security checkpoint. This young man was walking through the security checkpoint at Greater Rochester International Airport in Rochester, New York, when a security guard handed him the note. And as he walked away, she yelled at him, are you going to open the note? Well, he opened the note, and it simply had two words on it, you ugly. And the employee can be seen in the video busting out in laughter. It looked as though she was quickly going to write that same message down to someone else and pass that same kind of note on to someone else when they walked through. You know, it never costs to be kind. But unfortunately for this lady, it cost her her job to try to be funny. Now, some of you that have some uh, sarcastic bone in your body, some of you that love to joke and love to, you know, make fun and, and pick and that kind of thing, and I certainly enjoy that with friends of mine and, you know, family and just enjoy kind of, uh, you know, just ribbing each other, just having a good time at each other's expense. When you pass a note like that to someone that you don't even know, you take the dangerous chance that that person who doesn't know you will not find it funny. There are people that have issues with self-esteem, people that have issues with their self-confidence, especially out in public. And when you have a government employee who is working at a security checkpoint, hand you a note as you're going through, all of a sudden red flags go up because you think, well, I would probably, as a, as a customer in this airport, I would probably get in trouble if I passed a note to a security person. Somebody would turn me in and say, you know, he just passed a note to a security person. What does it say? Uh, is it a threat? Is it a, a bomb threat? Is it some kind of a you know, somebody's in danger or somebody's going to be, you know, that person that's walking through the airport going through security would probably get in trouble for something like that. But no, you have an employee who works at the security airport who told someone walking through the scanner, you're ugly. And it ended up costing her job. Now, Again, I'll say, for those of you that find humor in everything, you, think, you might think, well, now that's funny. 
And to some, and on some level, it may very well be. But in the tone of what I'm saying in this show, to pass a note to somebody, a note of encouragement, never would make a story. Um, If you say something appropriate to someone, if you say, well, you got a great attitude today going through the airport, sir, going through the airport, ma'am, you know, thank you for flying with us, or, you know, I hope you have a safe flight. Let us know if you see anything suspicious. You know, we're here for you. You know, if you passed a note, if you were a security person, you passed a note like that to somebody, that's never going to make the internet because that's kind, it's uplifting, it's encouraging. You know, if you passed an appropriate, a positive but appropriate note to somebody like that in an airport, chances are, It'll never make the internet. You pass something to somebody going through a security checkpoint that's ugly and sarcastic and could be taken the wrong way, chances are you're going to lose your job. And I'm sure that that security worker on some level said to her boss or said to whomever she had to answer to, oh, come on, it's funny. Oh, I was just trying to be funny. Oh, I was just playing. By the way, do you ever say something that's really not kind to somebody or maybe pick on them or say something to them and then you try to excuse it by saying, oh, I'm just kidding. You know, there are people in your life that will find that funny. There are people in your life that you know well and they know you and you say something and then you'll turn around and say, oh, I'm just messing with you. Oh, I'm just kidding. I didn't mean it that way. And they understand that. But there are times with random strangers when you pass notes to tell someone that they're ugly that it's going to cut deeper or it's going to bother them more because they don't know you. And like I said, this particular security worker in this New York airport ended up losing her job out of something that she probably thought was innocent and something that she thought thought was funny. It never cost us to be kind, to have an encouraging word, to smile, to say something positive and uplifting. I promise you, you will stay out of the internet, you'll keep your job, and you will glorify God in the spirit of Christ if you will be kind, be positive, be uplifting, you know, and find some way to make somebody's day. Find some avenue. I, I don't understand why some, sometimes so many people enjoy the idea of tearing someone down for your benefit of a laugh, of a smile, when really what we ought to live for is to build people up. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, when people look at the Bible, they'll think, well, you know, God is mean. God only tells us not to do this or don't don't take this or don't do that or don't say this and God just never has any joy and God's just unkind and God is just mean. Listen, that is the furthest thing from the truth. What God desires to do in our life is God desires to build us up and how he builds us up is by making us holy. God builds us up with our character, with our, uh, our self-esteem, which comes through him with the joy that we have that comes from knowing him 
And then that pours out of our life to the benefit of other people, and that's really what makes the world worth living in. I mean, not being a bunch of sarcastic people that just tear each other down or just being mean-spirited all the time and just constantly trying to destroy other people's self-esteem like, you know, like this lady in the, in the TSA. Now, some were going to say, oh, it was just a little simple note. You're taking this too far or the TSA took it too far. And, you know, you'd have to take it up with the TSA. I don't know what their policies are for passing notes or making jokes, but, you know, the Bible says not to be crude to be kind to one another, and like I said, you'll never lose your job being kind, being appropriate, being uplifting, being positive, you know, being affirming of other people. You'll never get in trouble, you'll never make it on the internet, and you'll never be the source of talk on a podcast or a radio show if you do the right thing, most likely. Because those are the kinds of stories that people find boring. Those good nature, pat on the back. Now, I could spend an hour or seven talking about some great things that very nice and kind people do. But I try to find certain things that make us scratch our head and ask why. Why do people act this way? And I just have to say, before I move on to the next story, I do think that a lot of times... People respond to others in this way of being unkind, tearing people down, being sarcastic. I really think that a lot of times people do that because they don't have any self-esteem. They don't have any idea of their own self-worth, and what they then try to do is tear down whatever worth you think you have. And when we get our real, genuine identity from Jesus, if we know who we are in Christ, then all we ever want to do is build people up and not to tear them down. Well, speaking of that very thing, I mentioned last Wednesday night that I started a sermon series a few weeks ago at Columbia Baptist Church entitled, Identity, Who Am I in Christ?, And what I shared with the church the last two Sundays really deals with who Jesus says that we are. Who and how does God define who we are, what we look like, how we're to live, and how we're to behave? And one of the key elements of the identity that we have in Christ is not just a name, it's not just the label of being a Christian or whether we're in a certain denomination, Baptist, Methodist, or whatever it may be. But it really comes down to the core of who we really are on the inside. And once you realize who you are on the inside and you allow the Spirit of God to live within you, to mold and shape you, to reflect the identity and the image of Christ in you, then you can really begin to see not only the hand of God on your life, but you can also see how God desires to use you, how he desires to bless you, and make you a blessing to other people. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, which is the text that I'll be preaching this coming Sunday, Paul says to the church, he says, having this ministry, meaning the ministry of the Holy Spirit, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. And then he goes on to say that we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. 
we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. He says in verse 4, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim, he says in verse 5, is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Again, what I'm sharing with you today on the radio show is simply this. When we desire to be a blessing to other people and desire to be a servant of others, what we are doing is we are taking the veil off of what does it really look like to be a Christian. And what we're saying to people is, if you want to know what Jesus looks like, watch how I serve, watch how I love, watch the grace that I pour out on others, watch the way that I accept people regardless of who they are or where they come from, as someone that has worth and value, and I share with them the life-changing message of the gospel of Jesus, that even if they are a wonderful person on the outside, God wants to change them from the inside out. That's the message of hope that we have as believers in Christ. And when we are unkind, when we are rude, when we fail to show grace and mercy to other people, then we completely discount that whole message of what we are trying to share and that identity of who we really are in Christ. The last verse in that text that I'll be preaching the Sunday in verse 6, Paul says, For God who said, Let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Listen, that's our responsibility. As Christians, it is our responsibility to display the grace, the mercy, the salvation of God. We are called as Christians to make a big deal out of Jesus. It is our responsibility to take what God has put within us take the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness, the salvation, the glory of Christ, and to present that to the world. What people need to see and the stories that need to be shared and the testimonies that need to go out is a message of life transformation and a brand new identity that has nothing to do with me but has everything to do with Jesus. Friend, I'm, I'll, I'll just be as honest and point blank with you as possible. If you could have eternal life, if you could have forgiveness of your sins, if you could transform your life to be amazing and wonderful and holy and without any blemish or issue and above reproach and all of those wonderful things, if you could do all of those things on your own, then God would have never sent Jesus Christ for you. But because we are sinners and fallen and we continually fall short, we continually mess up, we would, left on our own, make an absolute mess of our life. God says, don't worry about it. Don't try to fix it. 
Don't try to clean yourself up and make something of your life. I'm going to send my son to die on the cross for your sins. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to convict you of sin, to draw you closer to me. I'm going to give you my word that is always going to be true and always going to be faithful. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to transform your life to be everything that you need to be that you could never do without me. This is the grace and mercy of God. And that's why he sent Jesus. That's why Jesus sent his spirit after he ascended into heaven. This is why we need to share the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. Because people need to know they cannot do it on their own. That they need God. They need the presence of God in their life. And honestly, that's why this next story just makes me scratch my head. So many things make me scratch my head, to be real honest. But I shared a couple of weeks ago about a church in England that has a golf course that's made out of bridges inside their church. And this miniature golf course, nine holes inside the church, is supposed to somehow or other point people to bridges that God builds to our lives and how we can all be better people. It's absolute foolishness. It's in Rochester. It's in Great Britain. It, it, it's, it's a story that I don't understand. However, there's another one. Aside from the golf course, this one grabbed my attention because of what it is and because of where it is. There is a, I would say it's an amusement ride, but in Britain they call it a helter-skelter. Now, here in America we hear the word helter-skelter, you may think of Charles Manson, you may think of the Beatles, you may think of the Tate-LaBianca killings back in 1969 um, because Charles Manson took those two words from a Beatles song and just ran with it and made this crazy theory of the world coming to an end in a black and white war. But that's not what this helter-skelter is. What this helter-skelter is in Britain is more than just a, a, a ridiculous song and a ridiculous theory from Charles Manson. No, it is an amusement ride that's really a large slide. And it, it, honestly, that's really what it is. It's, it's, it's big enough for an amusement park, but simple enough, I guess, for a playground. But the story caught my attention because there's a bishop in the Norwich Cathedral who preached a message from the top of this amusement ride known as a helter-skelter. Why did he preach a message from the top of it? Because it is inside the cathedral. In the place where the priest would normally prepare communion in a Catholic-type church, he brought in a helter-skelter. He brought in a giant orange and white slide and decided to preach from the top of it. And the conclusion of his sermon had him sliding down this slide and everybody hooping and hollering. He said that God would be, quote, reveling in the joy and it would be... Uh, 
it would be amazing to God. It was inside the cathedral for 11 days. And he told the congregation during his message, he said, quote, God is a tourist attraction. And that was the, ra- the rationale. He went on to say, quote, God wants to be attractive to us, for us to enjoy ourselves, each other, and the world around us. And this glorious helter-skelter is about just that. He went on to say, quote, enjoying ourselves is a good thing to do and God will be reveling in it with us and all those people who have found fun and joy and laughter here, unquote. I've seen pictures. I've seen video. I shake my head. I don't understand. But you know what? There are churches in the United States that have had gimmicks to get people in the doors This is no different. This is a way in the 21st century to sidestep the good news of Jesus Christ, to mock the gospel of Jesus, and instead of emphasizing the cross, the burial, the resurrection of Christ, and new life that comes through the power of the sacrifice of Jesus, what we have boiled God down to is someone who wants us to smile and have fun. And what better place, according to this priest, to have fun inside the house of God, as he calls it, inside this place with this giant amusement, this gigantic slide that has lights, it has sounds, it has carnival music, let's do that inside of the place of worship because God would enjoy the fun that we're having. He wants us to have fun. There are churches in America that do basically the same thing with music. There are churches that do this with their message. They may not build some attraction, But what you see, what you hear, what you experience, the goosebumps that you have are more important than the content of the message. What you walk away feeling is more important than what you walk away knowing and understanding and having your life shaped by. And this is just another example of a foolish sideshow that does nothing to advance the kingdom, all it does is make people laugh at the foolishness that the church is doing to try to get people in the doors. I don't understand, but I do understand. Um, This particular church has used unconventional methods in the past to attract the public to come into their doors. But if I were to be able to interview the priest... My question to him is, aside from the fun that people feel when they watch you sliding down this amusement ride, and aside from the quote-unquote joy that you say they feel while they're watching and and experiencing this and, and, and having this fun time in this supposed house of worship, how does this impact their life on Monday? How does this change how they relate to their spouse on Tuesday? How does this change how they share the gospel with their neighbor on Wednesday? Where is the life transformation of the Bible that says that you cannot 
reveal the glory of God on your own. It is only what God has done in you and how he has transformed you that you can then reveal. What happens when these good people stop smiling? What happens when they walk out of church and they don't have something to smile about? What happens when all of your ministry is boiled down to making people laugh and have fun but have zero life transformation that sticks? What then is the ministry good for? And I'm afraid on television, I'm afraid in congregations all over the United States, we have plenty of people that gather together for a show and for a feeling and for an emotion, and they do not want life transformation. They do not want truth. They do not want change. They do not want to know that apart from Jesus, they can do nothing. They do not want to know that God is not about getting uh, about making them happy. God is about making them holy. And when God makes us holy, that's when we are happy. Because the smiles will fade. The laughter will stop. The sideshow is going to come to an end. But it's the truth of God that never changes. And if it's the truth of God that never changes and our culture that is constantly changing then while we may adjust the methods of sharing that truth, going to this length of sidestepping the gospel and really making church all about laughter and this type of thing takes the good news of Jesus Christ and flushes it down the toilet. It really says, Jesus, we really don't need you we really don't need what you've done. All we really need is just to have a good time. And I'll be honest, you can, you can have a good time. You can smile, you can laugh, doing all sorts of things. People go to sporting events. They go to music concerts. They, they take walks in the park. Listen, folks have a, a, a good time with all sorts of things without the presence of God in their life. The only problem with this particular ministry in this cathedral is now they have brought the absence of God inside the church. And they've replaced the presence of God in the church and the truth of God with just something fun that they could find outside the church. When in reality, what they need to be doing is sharing the truth of God inside the church so that that has an impact outside the church. We need to have the Spirit of God within us now so that we can see life transformation once we leave the doors. We need to have the gospel of Christ preached to us so that we carry it out of the building and tell people that need to know him. We need to, we need to have a genuine experience with God and we genuinely need to hear the truth of God and it needs to change us so that when we walk out the door, when life hits us hard, and when we stop smiling and stop, quote-unquote, having fun, then we come back to that truth that we heard, that, that response that we made to Christ. We come back to the presence of God in our life, and all of a sudden it's not about us, it's all about Him. 
and life is lonely and and my health is bad and my job is not good and and you know nobody likes me and and you know all of these bad things are happening but yet i have the truth of god to hold on to the the dangerous thing about this particular church is they're not giving anything to anybody that's going to stick and i read that story and i i certainly i read the one a couple of weeks ago of the church that has the nine-hole golf course inside their cathedral, and I thought, what a waste. What a waste of money. What a waste of space. What a waste of energy for the for supposedly people of God to think that they're going to, you know, quote, build bridges, unquote, to people in the community, and that somehow by playing miniature golf inside the cathedral, that's going to lead somebody to Christ. There are fun things that we do as a church, and there are times that we have some some great fellowship and some great times of joy and laughter. But I can guarantee you, at Columbia Baptist Church, and I hopefully hope hope and pray it's true at your church as well, we always come back to the Bible, and what we do is founded upon and is saturated with the good news of Jesus. Because otherwise, we're not a church. You know, talking about something that is versus something that isn't um i saw that there was a recall on a 2019 mazda 3 now i looked up on the internet what a mazda 3 2019 looks like and i found a july 1st picture of one in red and it is a sharp looking little sports car i've never owned a mazda uh, they've been around for a long time, and uh, honestly, they seem to make a, a nice vehicle until I read this story. But apparently, Mazda 3 has been recalled, and there's about 25,000 of them that have just rolled off the assembly line that they've had to recall. Why? Because those 25,000 Mazda 3s just might have the wheels fall off. Now, you would think you could drive a car for 25, 35, 55 years before the wheels would literally fall off, but you wouldn't think that you would buy a brand new car, but somehow or other there was a manufacturing process error that left a gap between the wheel hub bolt and the hub flange during the assembly. And even though the lug nuts were initially tightened, it still left loose enough for them to fall off. You know, there are way too many people that are literally driving their life as fast and as hard as they can. They're going every which direction they can. They're doing everything that they can. But what they are unaware of is how dangerously close they are to having the wheels fall off. You know, you buy something brand new that costs you, you know, twenty, twenty-five, thirty, thirty-five thousand dollars, maybe even more. I don't know how much a Mazda three is. But you you purchase one of these vehicles and you think, you know, this car is gonna last me for a long time. You may not even make it back to your house from the dealership with one of these twenty five thousand cars and your wheels have fallen off and you have a scratched up, banged up, 
maybe even your own life, your, you know, your own body is banged up from a wreck or something that happens because you get on the interstate and you're going 70 miles an hour and the wheels pop off, that's not going to go well. You know, think about your life for just a moment. Do you really want to trust you? Do you really want to trust your engineering, your ability, your smarts, your intellect, your viewpoint on things? Do you really want to say to God, God, listen, I can do this myself. I can design my own life. I can take care of myself. I can do this. I can do that. Just leave me alone. Do you really want to say to God, God, I can handle it. Just back off and trust that you can drive your life as hard and fast and furious as you want to, and you have no doubt whatsoever that it's going to last. You know, whatever God touches, whatever God transforms, whatever God puts his hand on, whomever God puts his spirit into, that person is not only permanently his, but has his Holy Spirit, as the Bible says, as a deposit and a guarantee of the good things that God is going to do in the future. And if God has you, he's not going to make any mistakes. If God is directing your life, your wheels are not going to fall off. If God is leading this church or, or church that you attend and his will is being done, and people are praying about God's will, and, and, and you've got some exciting things that are coming in, in the future of your church, the wheels are not going to fall off if God is in it and if God is using it. Now listen, there are a lot of things in your life, and certainly in mine, that may not go the way that you think they're going to, or may not end up the way that you thought that they would. But the Bible reminds us in Romans chapter 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? And nothing can separate us from the love of God. And that God works all things together for good for those who love him. And so even if your life takes twists and turns that you never expected, the wheels are not going to fall off if God is in control. Even if your life goes down a road that you didn't even know the name of and certainly didn't think that this is where your life would end up, the Bible has all sorts of assurances that God has got you. In fact, this, this past week, yesterday morning, I shared a devotion with some of our men. We have a Monday, uh, Wednesday, excuse me, a Tuesday morning prayer breakfast, and I was asked to lead the devotion that morning. And what I shared with them was those moments in your life when you think it's going to go one way and it actually goes another. The devotion that I shared used David as an example because David believed that he was going to build the temple for the people. He really wanted to build the temple. He believed that he was going to build it. He honestly thought that God was going to bless him and use him and provide the resources. And God God just flat out told him, you're not going to build it. Your son Solomon is going to build it. This is a plan that David had for his life. He planned to build the temple. The problem is David's plan to build the temple was not God's plan. 
And so even though David had a plan to do something for God, God said, it's not your plan. It's not your place to make that plan. My plan is to have your son build the temple. His name is Solomon. And so the devotion, what I shared with them was, there are times that you may plan for your life to go a certain way, and God has every right to change them. One of the reasons why If you were to map out your life for the next 10 years of exactly how you wanted your life to go, every decision that you were going to make, the outcome of every decision, and you were to say, this is exactly what I want to have happen, you will find out very quickly that you are not in control of every detail, of every consequence, of every issue that's going to arise, and your life is not going to work out exactly the way that you think it will. We are absolutely, as finite beings, incapable of planning out every, every detail of our life. We just can't because we don't know all of the ramifications of what one decision is going to be. But God does. And so what David came around with was to simply say that God was the one who is in control. God was the one who had the right to say This is what's going to happen. This is the the truth. This is the plan. He said that God had chosen him to have a wonderful position of establishing the throne that was going to last forever. Jesus himself, God's one and only son, would be born in the line of David. David said... Even though building the temple was not the plan that God had for my life, even though he plans to do it through my son Solomon, God has still blessed me so much, tremendously, with all of the other things in my life. The devotional writer that I reflected from said this, and I love this line, Who am I to complain? David had gone, I'm quoting, he said, David had gone from a runt to royalty, from herding sheep to leading armies, from sleeping in the pasture to living in the palace. And then he said this, when you are given an ice cream sundae, don't complain over a missing cherry. David was blessed beyond measure. Yes, God had a different plan for one aspect that David had been planning for. But the temple still was built, and Solomon, David's son, got to build it. And even when our life goes a direction that we never saw coming, it is God's right and his prerogative to say, this is the way it's going to go. This is the direction that that your life is going to take. I'm in control. I know what I'm doing. You're not in control. You don't know what all is going to happen. Just trust me. That's our identity in Christ. We don't have to be in control. The Bible reassures us in so many places that we are not equipped to handle every problem that comes our way. But God is. We are incapable of taking pain, anxiety, grief. We are absolutely incapable from taking those things out of our life. But God is 
is not. He is able. He is the God of all comfort. God can do what only God can do, and our job, our role, our responsibility is to trust him. And I hope that you're able to do that. And I hope that some of these insights and some of these stories and certainly reflections from God's word, I hope that they have helped. I really do appreciate you joining me tonight on What's the Word every Wednesday night at 6 o'clock right here on 101.9 WAIN, 1270 uh, AM or live streaming on 101.9 WAIN.com. Find it on my podcast, which is called Walk This Way. And thank you so much for joining me tonight. Hey, this is Pastor Randy Johnson. Thank you so much for joining me for What's the Word? That show airs every Wednesday night at 6 o'clock on 101.9 WAIN right here in the heart of Adair County in Columbia, Kentucky. Or you can catch the replay of What's the Word on my podcast, which is called Walk This Way. And you can find that in several different places. You can find it at anchor.fm backslash walk this way on the internet, or you can find it on different apps and, and places that carry podcasts like iTunes, Spotify, Pocket Cast, and all sorts of uh, places you can find this broadcast, you can find messages that I've preached, and I just want to encourage you to make it a point to tune in, subscribe, and listen to all sorts of content that's on my podcast, which is called, again, Walk This Way. Thank you so much for joining me.